Hello and welcome to The Uncover Up. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nathan Radke, and joining me today, and already seething with anger, <laughs> is Dr. Lee Kunla. Hi, everyone. So, here's the thing. Normally, when we're recording one of these, Lee comes over to the bunker, we sit around for a bit, we make some small talk, we joke around, we catch up, and then we start the, the recording. This time, Lee bursts into the bunker... <laughs> raving like a lunatic, waving papers around. There was there was a paper explosion. Some of the papers are bright red. They look very scary. And then proceeded to rant for a good 48 minutes straight. It was, it was wild. I wish I had recorded it because it was good stuff. So hopefully we're going to capture some of the non-ranty versions of what I was bringing up. And of course, you, Nathan, had a lot to say as well. Because we are talking about the House Select Committee hearings on UAPs. Yeah. This is something we don't normally do, talking about stuff that's going on in the news. And I felt like we need to already start with a bit of a justification, which I've been working on for the last couple of days. Which is, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, because the title of the show will have UAP in it, and that's what everybody is talking about in the conspiratorial and UFO community at the moment. We have been talking all year about the history of UFOs, or now UAPs. I still say UFO. I still say UFO, too. But because it's just it's better understood by people in it's general. It's true, and yet the, that is what all the internet searches will get you to what we're talking about if you put into Google UAP, unidentified anomalous phenomenon, or as Nathan said, UFOs. So we have been dedicating a lot of this year to the history of UFOs and basically our contemporary cultural understanding of what they are mixed also with a critical analysis of the claims and the plausibility of it being the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is to say UFOs or aliens. And then there was this hearing a few weeks ago, which really actually blew my mind. And I think it blew a lot of people's minds. The claims that were made on the record by serious investigators, by pilots, by under House, oath, under oath by House representatives, cleared by the Pentagon. This stuff was explosive, and it almost broke the internet. And so that's what we're talking about today. And I do have a lot to say, but so does Nathan. Nathan, though, in his calm and collected manner, has decided to take the reins of this episode so that I don't start to rant. Yes, because here's the thing. One of us has had, I think, a lot of coffee or something? Yes, that is that is true. Right. But it's it's really not the coffee that's fueling me. It's 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 contributing. Whereas I have just donated a pint of blood. And so I'm quite mellow and slow and relaxed. Whereas you he's like he's hopping up and down in his chair as I look at him right yeah. now. Did they give you a cookie, by the way? Uh, I got a chocolate bar. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, the claims were quite shocking in this hearing. We've done a lot of media appearances about this because it was it, it was just bizarre to hear what some of the claims were being made in this official hearing. Not only that the American government has access to crashed UFOs, that there have been alien bodies recovered, that we have been reverse engineering technology that we've taken from these crashed UFOs. That this is being kept secret 
from not only the public, but a lot of members of the American government, that there is a sort of a deep state within the operations of the American government that is concealing this from House representatives, from Senate leaders, maybe even from the president. Yeah. Well, I think especially the president, and also that there have been people killed, not only by the technology, but perhaps by members of this deep state government. They have been killed to keep them quiet. That's right, that they have been harassed, they have been threatened, career suicide, and just generally, you know, fearing, as Nathan said, right up to fearing for their life and even being physically injured or worse because of potential revelations that they were going to make about these secret programs. I mean, this sounds like a script to the X-Files. It sounds actually like the entire trajectory of the X-Files franchise. This was one of their main ideas underneath tying all the alien episodes together, that this is exactly what was happening. But it was seen either as a very fringe conspiratorial idea or as just fiction. Yeah, and, and now suddenly, it's in the halls of Congress. Amazing. So we, I guess what we need to do is we need to talk about what happened, and we are going to respond to it in a way to try and bring some analysis to it that I found in the media hype around it was sorely lacking. Which is often and, true of media hype. And And these are relatively trustworthy. I say that with some trepidation, but, you know, Places like CNN were having leads like aliens are real or the, the, there's the potentially like evidence for hiding aliens in the government. Right. But do you remember how CNN behaved when the Malaysian airliner crashed MH370? I don't. And they were talking about, was it swallowed up by a black hole? Oh, right. Yes. No. Is, is this a potential lost situation? Are they all trapped in an island with a smoke monster? Like, <laughs> Okay. I guess what I mean, though is these generally... These are mainstream sources. These are mainstream sources that are not on their periphery. Mm -hmm. It's not even something like Fox News. It's considered sort of the kind of stuff that decision makers would watch. And it was lacking, I think, in some real rigorous analysis, which I hope we can bring to the question here. Because if the claims are true... We have to retract everything that we have ever said on the uncover-up, I think. That'd be exciting. I'd, I'd be really happy to do that. It would be cool. But would it be accurate? Let's see. Let's find out. To talk about UFOs is one of the trickier things to talk about. This is why we've devoted this whole year to kind of working through this story of the story of the UFO phenomenon, starting in the late 1940s with Kenneth Arnold the idea of the flying saucer. And we've talked about like the contact team movement where in the 50s people were saying, oh, I've been contacted by aliens in jumpsuits and they were worried about atomic bombs based on, as we discovered, mostly old science fiction movies and things like that. Well, and some very unscrupulous fraudsters like Adamski and Gray Barker and others who use that pop culture moment to make money, sell books, get themselves famous. Right. In fact, that's probably a good way to start this, by saying that when you try to talk about UFOs, you run into a real rogues gallery. You run into scammers and hoaxers who are trying to make a quick buck off of people's belief in UFOs. And you mentioned George Adamski, Gray Barker. There, there's no shortage of those, and we've encountered them over and over and over again. 
you also encounter official government lies and cover-ups. Yeah. And that's a, another big part of this whole UFO picture. Sometimes the cover-ups are because the American government has some kind of brand new technology and people accidentally stumble across it. And so then those people are discredited and they are called out and there is a stigma attached to them coming out and saying, hey, I saw something weird in the sky. And rather than saying, yeah, we got some weird stuff, but it's top secret, they just discredit the person, say they are out of their mind or they're ill or whatever. And so we encounter that. We also encounter a lot of good, honest people who have seen weird things and want to genuinely understand it. That's right. And I think to lean into what Nathan is saying, it's not as though the sightings are easily explained mm -hmm. in the past. Some of them, of course, the, the bad ones are, but there have been really good ones. And then, to add to what you were saying, Nathan, there's also been official U.S. interest in tracking down what these things might be. Yeah, the, the American government's relationship to UFOs has been complicated since the beginning. And I call when I say the beginning, I mean 1947. Right. They had projects Grudge and Saucer and Blue Book. And some of those Wasn't were... was Sign, sorry? Yeah, there was, there was Sign, Grudge, was, Saucer, Blue Book. They had a bunch of official Air Force or uh, American government investigations into the UFO phenomenon. Right. And with different degrees of honesty. There was a period of time for something like Blue Book in the early 50s when it was commanded by Captain Ruppelt, where he was legit saying, okay, let's find out. People are seeing things. What is it? And I think the reason for that was maybe also related to what's going on today, is that if there is something up in the sky that is unidentified, it could be a national security threat. Yeah, we need to so know about it. it's not just... The interest by officials isn't necessarily proof of the extraterrestrial hypothesis, but it is very coherent national security strategy to figure out what's in your airspace because it could be dangerous. Yeah. In 1969, Blue Book is officially closed with the conclusion that UFOs weren't anything particularly strange or threatening. Of course, that was the Condon that report. That was the Condon report, exactly. But... That in no way closed the book for the general public. That's right. And I think it had to do to some extent with conspiracies that emerged in the 60s that led to a citizen sleuth movement. I'm thinking specifically here of the JFK assassination, where the official story did not seem to add up for a lot of observers. And people started to take matters into their own hands and worry Maybe the government isn't telling us everything. Maybe something else is going on. And of course, we've had a lot of episodes on the Find Out 70s where the shenanigans of the 40s, 50s, and 60s come to light in the 70s. Yeah, all the nonsense, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, the like all of the American agencies. Nixon. Nixon, the I Pentagon. Mean, just, and then that really added a lot of evidence for those who are already quite skeptical. And of course, then, can you trust the American government when they tell you that there's nothing to see here with UFOs? And as the American public becomes more and more suspicious of their own government, understandably so, with good reason to, the story that we start telling about aliens gets darker. Right. It's, it gets more sinister. Now they aren't guys in jumpsuits who are coming down to warn us about the dangers of nuclear bombs. Now they're kidnapping us. 
Now they're experimenting on us. Now they're bloodletting cows. They're mutilating cows. And that's what happens in the 70s. The story that we tell about UFOs gets darker and scarier. Yep. But there is not nearly as much official reaction from the government, or there doesn't appear to be, about UFOs. It, it becomes entirely just the citizen sleuths who are working on it. But as it turns out, that is not the case. In 2017, moving forward, we get leaked videos. Wow, you really moved forward there. I'm skipping a bunch of stuff. Because <laughs> the 80s were interesting, the though. The 80s were interesting. You had... There was actually kind of an, a, a, a sort of official response. It was a kind of um, Very black, one. black ops response in a way where they were trying to do disinformation. This is Air Force intelligence, I think. There were more scams with the MJ-12 documents. And, and all of it just adding to the nonsense, to the noisy nonsense that you have to fight your way through in order to ask the question, hey... What's in the sky? What's going on What's here? going on up there? And so you're right. I mean, we have taken a very, was it quick or was it arduous? It feels like it was both. Summary, or tra- we've traversed this period now from the 50s, I guess, to the late 80s, where that question of what's in the sky gets harder and harder to answer because of all the noise that's mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. And now, as you say, we're in 2023. There's just been this question has reemerged again because of... Well, because of what happened uh, a few years back in 2017 when leaked videos of U.S. Navy pilots intercepting what appeared to be UFOs were authenticated by the Pentagon. Right. These have been out a few years earlier. They had been circulating on the net. But in 2017, the Pentagon said, yes, these videos are official. They are real. There was also a New York Times article on a secret government program that was still running to investigate UFOs, the AATIP, or the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And that kind of threw UFOs back into mainstream culture. Right. I think especially because the nature of the evidence was very compelling. Mm-hmm. So you had interceptors. Were they interceptors? I would defer to... Well, they were FA-18s. So they were FA-18s. So then they're both fighter planes and attack planes. There you go. And they have video cameras on them, as well as other sensors. Radar, infrared. And they are picking up things that are unexplainable in terms of their shape and their movement. They're not supposed to be in the airspace in which they're in. They are moving in ways that cannot be readily explained by the operator or the sensor. And then, and so this, these are pilots. Yep. These are radar operators. These are people who, like, for example, pilot Alex Dietrich, she said, I was not a UFO person. You know, they, these are not people who... who they weren't ins- out looking for this. They were not out looking for it. In fact, a lot of them kind of, I think retrospectively wish they'd not seen anything. Including Dietrich, I think. Yeah, because now she has become known as one of the UFO people or yeah. UAP people as the terminology has, has changed. And maybe it's actually just worth interjecting why the terminology has changed. It is in part because of this history that Nathan has just narrated. There's so much baggage around the concept of a UFO that it's no longer a neutral designator as Captain Ruppelt first suggested it should be that it's an unidentified flying something. Yeah, and the reason that Ruppelt suggested UFO, although didn't he want it pronounced UFO? UFO. 
exactly. was because he was trying to get away from Flying Saucer. Right. And Flying Saucer was too loaded yeah. and seemed to suggest an extra uh, extraterrestrial hypothesis. He introduces UFO, which in popular culture is known as the acronym Unidentified Flying Object or UFO, in order to get away from that. But now it has again become associated so closely with extraterrestrial that when we do our media appearances, I find one of the things we first have to tease out is, yes, you can see unidentified things in the sky, and that does not mean that they are being piloted by extraterrestrials. Right. One does you, not imply the other. The U is unidentified. So now we have unidentified, what was first unidentified aerial phenomena, and now it's unidentified anomalous phenomena. And this just increases the scope from just being in the sky to maybe being in the water or also being in space. And or this being was, in our hearts. <laughs> this was being brought to the public's attention by very reputable sources with what people in, skeptical people of the UFO community have always wanted, show me some evidence like good pictures right pictures taken by credible people and supported by serious institutions and in 2017 you got all of that you got the pentagon you got pilots you got video footage president obama in 2017 or whenever it was that he you know he's like i don't know what this is it's weird yeah and because it enters into mainstream culture and because now it's getting official recognition by May 2022, there's actually a congressional hearing to discuss the findings of the investigation. And the findings were kind of inconclusive. Some of them were pretty weird. There was talk about how these, some of these UAPs, or UFOs, as I'm just going to keep calling them, right. some of these UFOs appeared to maneuver in a way that seemed to suggest that they were aware of the pilots intercepting them, that they were interfering with sensors. Yeah, they were they jamming were the sensors. Jamming sensors, that they were moving in a way without any noticeable means of propulsion or lift. Right. So, again, they have more than just video sensors, so they weren't able to detect any infrared. Right, which you would get from any engine. Right, because it's hot. Yeah. There was no exhaust. There was... I mean, there wasn't even really any seams you know like rivets or bolts or kind of ways in which this object seemed to have been put together yeah no wings no rotors no anything now in winter of 2023 several ufos were shot down by air force f-22s over the united states and canada right now i'm surprised that even you brought that up because that was very explainable because they were shot down Mm -hmm. and those ended up being balloons of yeah, some sort almost Probably certainly surve- chinese, chinese chinese surveillance, surveillance balloons, balloons exactly but they were not alien spacecraft that's for sure no but they were ufos they were ufos until they were shot down yeah and then they were ucos unidentified crashed objects because they didn't find some of them or they claimed they hadn't found some of them so by 2023 by where we are now congress was getting frustrated by the lack of government transparency into this whole phenomenon and demanded a hearing and that's where finally, finally, we're at the sh- start of the show. This is only a test. This is only a test. Start of the show. <laughs> All right. So this hearing poses some serious questions. It isn't just about the possible existence of alien life, as serious as that is, but about the importance of transparency in government. Right. Yes. And it's sort of important to note, this is one of the things that irritates you, 
is when somebody says the government's doing this or the government's doing that. Right. Because the government is huge. It's many different parts. Often the parts don't know what the other parts are doing. Exactly. So this hearing involves one part of the American government, part of the elected American government, the Congress people, demanding answers from other parts of the American government. Right. So what's happening is Congress is demanding information from intelligence agencies and the Pentagon. And this goes to point out what you're often trying to point out, that the government is a giant organization. It isn't even one organization. It's giant bureaucracies. Yeah. All wedded together in some way. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of people in the American government and outside don't really understand. Yeah. And yeah, no, absolutely. The background, as we've talked about, American intelligence and military agencies have been concerned about UFOs since 47 with, with the, the sighting of the flying saucers, quote-unquote. That Kenneth Arnold, so he's the one yeah. who, or the term is coined because of him. Even though he didn't say they look like saucers. That's right. So they move like saucers, and then it was misrepresented. But mostly 1948, when a fighter pilot, Captain Mantell, is sent after a UFO over the skies in Kentucky and is then killed in a crash. Mm-hmm. That really starts to fire up interest in this. Of course, it's the Cold War. The American military, for the most part, isn't worried about aliens. Worried about Russians. They're worried about Russians. They're also worried about Russians using the alien or, or using the panic around this stuff as a way of dis- detracting attention from a possible invasion. Yeah. So there's all kinds of worries around the Russians and this stuff. Yeah, I mean, the Air Force and the CIA were very concerned that if citizens were paying too much attention to UFOs, they wouldn't be paying enough attention to the Soviet Union. Right. Or the ballistic missiles that might be coming or whatever. Yeah. So the American government had a real interest in crushing any kind of UFO conversation in the 50s and 60s. And yet also figuring out what it was just in case it was some kind of foreign tech. Yeah. And there what were people and there up? were people in the American government who were like, or aliens. Or aliens. Exactly. But we've gone back again. Yeah. We have to come back to, to now. So despite all of this, commercial and military pilots over the decades have seen hundreds of UFOs. Yes. And let me give you an actual number here. This comes from an organization which we will reference a number of times. The acronym is ARO, and it is the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. So basically, uh, an office set up by the Department of Defense in order to track this stuff. Yeah, to track UFOs. I've gotten various numbers, but I'm going to go with the higher one, which is, so I've, I've, I've gotten a range between 500 and 800 cases reported, like actually reported. So apparently there's a lot more that goes unreported. But between 1996 and 2023, there were up to 800 reported cases of unidentified anomalous phenomena. Yeah. And the reason that it's almost certainly underreported is because we know this. Military pilots and commercial pilots have, for decades, probably kept pretty quiet out of the fear of stigmatization. Right. Out of being dismissed as being delusional, having seen something in the sky. Exactly. Because as a military pilot, you need to undergo... Psycho, well, actually, I, I, as, as far as I know, also as a civilian pilot, you go undergo routine psychological examinations to yeah. make sure that you are healthy to fly one of these aircraft. And, and saying you saw a UFO is not going to help you, despite the fact that a lot of people have. Right. 
And there, so you can go through the history and find some really interesting examples. And again, these are not the kind of things that UFO searchers were looking for. It's a group of civilians in a civilian aircraft and the pilot sees something and the passengers see something and they can't explain what it is. Yeah. Now, maybe this is, is this a point where I talk about the morphology of the UAPs? That is to say, what they tend to look like. Like, if we summarize the 800 cases that have been reported... That's a good idea. Let's do that now. What does it look like? Okay. So again, this comes from Arrow, and that is the All-Domain Anomalous Resolution Office. And they have put together sort of what it tends to... What is it that people tend to be seeing? Okay? So they call it the... Uh, typical morphology of reported UAP characteristics. So they tend to typically be round. They're about one to four meters in size. Which the is color... pretty small. Like for people who don't know metric, how many feet is that? That's pretty tiny. Yeah, so what, two meters is about six feet. So we're looking, yeah, uh, I guess three to 12 feet. Yeah. Something, I mean, if I'm off a bit, it's just a bit. Like we're mm -hmm. well within the... We're within a range there that, that works. Color would be generally white, silver, translucent. The altitude at which they tend to be seen is about 10,000 to 30,000 feet. The velocity is ranges between stationary to Mach 2. So it's twice the speed of sound. So from stationary to twice the speed of sound. They seem to have no thermal exhaust that's detected. So no obvious uh, means of propulsion. And yet they move at you know, potentially the twice the speed of sound. And their thermal signature is intermittent, short wave, infrared, and medium wave infrared. That tends to be what is seen out there. Now, there are variations, and we'll probably hear about them when we get into the actual testimony. There are some differences in shape. Almost 50% of reported UAPs or UFOs so 47% of those reported are orb, round, or spherical in some way. Only 1% is in the shape of a tic-tac. There are others like square, rectangular, triangular, disc, cylindrical, oval. They range between 1% and 3% of the reported sightings. 7% are just other. Almost 20%, 19% are ambiguous. You just can't tell. They're, mm -hmm. That maybe the sensor is fuzzy. Maybe the eyewitness reports is fuzzy. So that's what we are apparently seeing in the skies. That's what the pilots are reporting. That's what civilian and military uh, pilots are reporting. So that takes us to this particular congressional hearing. Now we have three witnesses. Yep. Now I'm going to break those three witnesses into one group of two and then one other guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that seems overly complicated. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason for that. So two of the witnesses are former fighter pilots. Correct. One of the witnesses is a former intelligence agent. Correct. Who spent the last couple of years, 2019 to 2021, actively investigating UAPs, crashes, mm -hmm. and talking to people who had direct experience with it. Mm -hmm. So that's his claim to being part of this conversation. Yeah. And... I think you probably experienced something similar as you were watching this hearing. It was sort of two very separate claims that were being made. At least, at least two. 
two categories. categories of, yeah. On the one, we had the two pilots saying there have been things encountered in the sky. That's right. We've had an episode on that. Mm-hmm. This is what I was expecting when I came to watch the hearings. I knew about this. We've talked about the 2017 release of these videos. We've watched them ourselves. We're going to watch some on this episode in a bit. And this is what I was expecting the hearings to be about. And they start that way. Yeah. And so they start... Uh, I'll, I'll talk about the two pilot witnesses. Yeah. Because I think we can, we can go through those. That's fairly straightforward. Yeah. So we have Commander David Fravor, experienced fighter pilot. We have a whole episode on this. You can go back and listen to it. I think it was called the FA-18 UFO incident. Okay. Because they were flying an FA-18. So you had Commander you David Fravor, airplanes. and I do, and rookie pilot at the time, Alex Dietrich, who would later become a high-ranking member of the U.S. Navy. They were each flying their two-seater Super Hornets, FA-18Fs, and at 2 p.m. In the, in the afternoon received instructions from the carrier they were with to stop their training maneuvers and proceed to a new coordinate for what the operations officer called a real-world task. As we proceeded to the west, the air controller was counting down the range to an object that we were going to, and we were unaware of what we were going to see when we arrived. There, uh, the controller had told us that these objects uh, had been observed for over two weeks, coming down from over 80,000 feet, rapidly descending to 20,000 feet, hanging out for hours, and then going straight back up. For those who don't realize, above 80,000 feet is space. We arrived at the location at approximately 20,000 feet in a controller called Merge Plot, which means that our radar blip was now in the same resolution cell as the contact. As we looked around, we noticed that we saw some white water off our right side. It's important to note that the weather on this day was as close to perfect as you could ask for off the coast of San Diego. Clear skies, light winds, calm seas, no white caps from waves. So the white water stood out in a large blue ocean. All four of us, because we were in F-18Fs, so we had pilots and Wizzo in the back seat, Looked down a small, saw a white tic-tac object with a longitudinal axis pointing north-south and moving very abruptly over the water like a ping-pong ball. There were no rotors, no rotor wash, or any sign of visible control surfaces like wings. As we started clockwise towards the object, my wizard and I decided to go down and take a closer look with the other aircraft staying in high cover to observe both us and the tic-tac. We proceeded around the circle about 90 degrees from the start of our descent and the object object suddenly shifted its longitudinal axis, aligned it with my aircraft, and began to climb. We continued down another 270 degrees, nose low, where the tic-tac, or we considered 270 degrees, and we went nose low to where the tic-tac would have been. Our altitude at this point was about 15,000 feet, and the tic-tac was about 12,000. As we pulled nose onto the object within about a half mile of it, it rapidly accelerated in front of us and disappeared. Our wingmen, roughly 8,000 feet above us, lost contact also. We immediately turned back to see where the white water was at, and it was gone also. So as we started to turn back towards the east, the controller came up and said, sir, you're not going to believe this, but that thing is at your cat point, roughly 60 miles away in less than a minute. You can calculate the speed. We returned to Nimitz. We were taking off our gear. We were talking to one of my crews that was getting ready to launch. We mentioned it to them. And they went out and luckily got the video that you see, that 90-second video. What you don't see is the radar tape that was never released, and we don't know where it's at, of the active jamming that the object put on an APG-73 radar. And I can get into modes later if you're interested. Fravor said of the UFO, It's white. It has no wings. It has no rotors. I go, holy shit, what is that? The movements were sudden and erratic, like a ping-pong ball bouncing around. Pilot Dietrich later commented that as she watched it move around, she realized with some concern that her plane would be incapable of matching it in any kind of dogfight. Mm -hmm. 
In closing, I would like to say that the Tic Tac object we engaged in 2004 was far superior to anything that we had on time, have today, or are looking to develop in the next 10 years. If we in fact have programs that possess this technology and needs to have oversight from those people that the citizens of this great country elected in office to represent what is best for the United States and best for the citizens, I thank you for your time. The footage taken by Underwood has become known as the FLIR video. Okay. FLIR standing for forward-looking infrared. So this was an incident tracked on radar, infrared, and by several sets of trained eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And that's what Fravor had to say in this. He's mm -hmm. like, he was basically telling that story again. Mm -hmm. And, and that, was, that was basically it. Yep. He's a witness. He saw something weird happen, and he was reporting it. The other pilot, Lieutenant Ryan Graves, former Navy pilot, also flew Super Hornets. In the summer of 2014, Graves and Lieutenant Acoin were stationed out of Virginia. After their radars were updated, and Lee has gonna, is going to have a lot to say about this. Oh, man. Lee is Captain Radar now. After their radars in their planes were updated, pilots began detecting UFOs, mm -hmm. but dismissed them as false radar tracks, saying, well, it's weird that we got these new radars. All of a sudden, we're seeing UFOs now. Right. Probably something to do with ghostly images, or we need to like fix these radars. We, they haven't been properly set up. Right. Graves himself picked up a strong radar signature of something in the sky, had no visual contact. A coin had a radar hit and was able to lock his training missile on it, as well as his infrared camera. And so that's three different sensors all picking up something. Yep. But then later that year, another pilot coming back from a flight told Graves that, quote, I almost hit one of those things. During a training mission in warning area Whiskey 72, 10 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach, two F-18 Super Hornets were split by a UAP. The object, described as a dark gray or a black cube inside of a clear sphere, came within 50 feet of the lead aircraft and was estimated to be 5 to 15 feet in diameter. The mission commander terminated the flight immediately and returned to base. Our squadron submitted a safety report, but there was no official acknowledgement of the incident and no further mechanism to report the sightings. Soon, these encounters became so frequent that aircrew would discuss the risk of UAP as part of their regular pre-flight briefs. According to sensor data, the objects accelerated to hypersonic speed and made sudden stops and instantaneous turns. If there was a person inside of that, They'd let's just be imagine. Rushed to death exactly. Like, this is not the kind of thing that you could do, even theoretically, in any kind of aircraft that we know of. And even yeah, not, we don't not, only, know not only would the person be crushed to death instantly, but we don't build aircraft that would be strong enough to hold up to those level of G forces right. of that kind exactly. of speed and those kind of turns. Exactly. So this is really weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, that this is not something that I think we can easily explain away. Yeah. We've got multiple sensors detecting something. We've got people who are, as you say, they're trained, trained observers even, and who are not looking, you know, they're not, they don't have a biography of being UFO buffs. Mm -hmm. It's not, and, and they don't seem to be running a con in any way. I mean, even, I don't even know how you would. Uh, given the kinds of data that they're bringing forward. And they've, they've got evidence of stuff that should not be working this way. Like they've got evidence of some maneuverable craft that is going from very high altitude, very far down, moving left and right, up and down in ways that would kill somebody if they were in there, in ways that we cannot explain using our understanding of conventional physics. Yeah. Now these claims that are made by these two pilots, Fravor and Graves, 
I, I find them believable. I, I don't think they're lying. Exactly. I don't think this is part of some kind of elaborate... Uh, hoax like hoax or, or counterintelligence project. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that they're they're not spoofing us because there's some agents within the CIA or the CIA is you know like hit them up to do one of these things. Yeah, and we can find lots of other examples of this sort of thing happening. And our listeners can easily find these videos on YouTube. Yeah, they've all been uploaded. I mean, it was released by the Pentagon, and so there's the Fleur video. There's the... Again, Go Fast I, and Gimbal. There's the... Gimbal and Go Fast. Are the, are that's the right. There's the Go Fast video. There's the Gimbal video. And if you put into whatever your search engine is, UAP videos, you're going to get a bunch of these. Yeah. So you can see it yourself. And in addition to their own experiences with UFOs, they claim that hundreds of military and commercial pilots have seen UFOs as well. And this claim is also well supported and documented. Well, well and as I you... said, we have a record of at least 800 reported cases yeah so that goes to show that they're not again just making this up and then of course they're talking about also unreported cases they're talking about friends colleagues people who come back to base and like hey i think you know something really weird something something weird went out and also and this is where we start to get a little bit more controversial there's also apparently according to these pilots footage of some of these incidents that the public has not seen yeah and i in doing the research for this particular episode, found some footage that I had not seen. And some of it is much better than this kind of grainy fighter jet video, which I remember when we did the episode, I was very frustrated by the quality of the data. You know, even if you have various sensors picking something up, corroborated by eyewitness reports, it still reminded me a lot of the Loch Ness Monster pictures where they're always grainy, it's always far away, and you're like, oh, come on, like, give me something in color. Now, there are, though, and I've come across at least one really good one in color. It was taken by a drone, an MQ-9. Ah, now, I get to say words like that. And it is of a spherical, metallic ball that just is just like zooming across the field of this camera and the the whole thing is in color it's moving really fast and it's really weird yeah and apparently then there's still stuff on top of that which we haven't seen which hasn't been released at all and we do know that ufos have disrupted military and commercial flights here in toronto november 2016 there was a porter passenger plane flying into billy bishop airport in toronto had to have perform evasive maneuvers at 9,000 feet to avoid colliding with a UFO. Mm -hmm. Now, the Canadian Transportation Safety Board had to investigate that incident because there were some minor injuries amongst the passengers because of the abruptness of these these maneuvers and concluded that it was unlikely to have been a drone. Okay. Due to the description of the object by the pilots, the distance away from shore, and the height involved. And so, yeah, all of those claims that the pilots were making i didn't find any fault with them and if that had been the hearing i don't think we go on the radio about it and i don't think we're doing this episode because we've already done episodes on this kind of thing yeah and that's certainly what i showed up to the hearing expecting yeah i want to though say that if it were if it had stayed at that mm-hmm. i still think that this is a super interesting area to investigate 100 percent. i and, think and there's like some key recommendations that come out of this investigation that need to be implemented yeah so I think if we just leave it at there, there are people who are, are picking up 
both on sensors and through eyewitness reports, weird things, it could be dangerous for either military or civilian aviation. So worth investigating for that. Why don't we, we'll break this up into two. Let, let's address what's, what's happened so far in the hearing. The recommendations made by these pilots increase transparency from the government. Yes. What do they know? 100% agree. Yeah. This goes back to claims that we have also made in the past. I remember when we did the MK Ultra episode, one of the things said by Frank Olson's son is, to what extent do we have a democracy yeah. if a lot of things, important decisions are being made in secret? And I, that was a really powerful point that I think is worth thinking about. Yeah. Now, I'm not necessarily taking a stance exactly where that line should be. I'm open to potentially there being some secrets in government, although, yeah, I'm not but, sure. But then the conversation about the transparency should be transparent. Right. There should be an open conversation about why some things are transparent. And we have discovered in our research so many examples of real malfeasance that happens because there is no real oversight. Yeah. Project Cyclone. The whole thing in Afghanistan that essentially leads up to 9-11 is a black project kept out of public discourse in America in order to undermine the Soviets and not help Afghanistan at all is an example of how a democracy really does not thrive when it is burdened by so many secrets. Yeah. And so the, the general idea of calling for more transparency is a good thing. Yeah. And I think completely justified. The removal of stigma from people who have seen UFOs so they can freely come forward. I think... 100% agree. 100% agree. Adding on to that, creating a reporting system so that people have somewhere to go with their experiences. Yeah, like Project Blue Book. Yeah. Like the thing that was shut down in 69 because, you know, there aren't really any extraterrestrials out there. And so why bother investigating the anomalous phenomena was a bad move. And I think we should have systems in which we can report and which other people can report anomalous phenomena because this is the way science often works is there is something that we can't explain given the current status of our theories and knowledge. And so there'll be something that sort of is nagging away. It's there and we try and ignore it. But by investigating precisely that thing, you're like, oh, there's a, there's a totally new understanding of nature. I mean, this is how we get to a solar-centric understanding of yeah, our... You're, just, you're describing the, 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 the Kuhnian, paradigm shift. The Kuhnian principle of yeah, the, paradigm the paradigm shift, shift. In, in science, which is you, you follow those anomalies and you try and make sense of them. And so far be it from attaching stigma to people who point out that there's stuff that is unexplainable, we should, in fact, publicly investigate it. Well, scientists should publicly investigate. I'm going to get to that. Well, I mean, and that's the final recommendation, that this needs to be taken seriously a phenomenon and get scientists working on it. Yes. And so this is foreshadowing a lot of what I'm going to say later, and potentially in a future episode at, at this rate. There was roughly around the same time that these hearings were happening, NASA had a public conference on UAPs. And they did a really good job of describing 
over four or five hours, and you can find it on YouTube. They do a really good job of describing how to do the kind of science, what one would need to do it, the questions that need to be asked. And they're interested. They're very serious scientists who are, who are very interested in figuring out what's going on here. So again, I think having a committee hearing about this and bringing it out in the public all adds to public perception that it is okay to ask, it is okay to report, and maybe we should investigate. Yeah, the stigma that has been attached to reporting UFOs has ruined people's lives. It's ended people's lives. Yep. This is not the way to truth. The way to truth isn't through cover-ups and fear and manipulation and intimidation. And that's what we have seen historically. And so all of those recommendations, I think, will move us closer to what we want, which is getting closer to what we, for the lack of a better word, could call the truth. Right. So at this point... We've heard from a couple witnesses who are legitimate, who are expert pilots, yep. who are familiar with things that are in the sky and what should be in the sky and how things move. And so that, that's what makes them compelling. They've told a couple of compelling stories and they have been backed up with some sensor data. That's right. So as far as UFO stuff goes, this is as close as I think we've ever come to having really good evidence. But is it strong enough evidence? Because this is a question we always have to ask. Are there other explanations for what we're seeing? Now, we're already saying we believe these pilots. Right. So this isn't, this isn't counterintelligence. This isn't some kind of, like, psyop. These are people who have seen things and have talked to people who have seen things that are weird. Yeah, and it's not just us. There are very serious scientists, and I'm going to reference this NASA talk quite a lot. So there was a public discussion forum that NASA hosted in which they brought in really top scientists in various fields that have something to say about UAPs and also how to investigate it. And the consensus there too was, we are seeing stuff. This includes, for example, Sean Kirkpatrick, who is the director of Arrow, which is, I've cited it before, this all-domain Anomaly Resolution Office, who broke down the 800 cases and what the morphology, what the what the UAPs tend to look like, where they tend to be seen. Now, of the 800 cases, he says two to five percent are truly anomalous, and he defines anomalous as not readily understood by sensor and or operator, and so. NASA is turning its attention to this because it is a real phenomena that needs some investigation, yeah. right? And this is where we get back to, say, the news in which all of a sudden now we're getting headlines saying aliens are visiting or ETs in the sky. That's right. Very as much. If, as if that is the explanation, that is the only explanation that could justify the sensor data that we have seen. Exactly. Now... Before launching into this, I want to say that of the videos that are out there, there are not great explanations for all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I would put that Fravor incident with the Tic Tac, I would put that in that category. Okay. I don't know what that was. Don't know what it is. Okay. However, when confronted with these videos, it is very tempting to say, well, look, it's just unexplainable. And then to make the leap to... Gotta be aliens. 
It's got to be aliens or what else, smarty pants, could it possibly be? What else could move in such an unusual way? What could, what could, could you fathom that would, you know, drop from 80,000 feet in a way that would destroy all known machinery that is, it's, it's not moving according to physics as we know it. So if it's not moving according to physics as we know, I think we've got two low-hanging fruits in terms of an explanation. One is, we don't know physics. There's a big, you know, there's a big something that's coming, and this might be a natural phenomenon that is going to point the way to a new physics. Yeah, we'll move past relativity and quantum into some better paradigm that describes things better. Or, we don't know physics, but the aliens do, Mm -hmm. and that explains everything. That explains how they got across billions of kilometers of space to visit us, and and that's why you don't see any propulsion uh, thermal indicators. That's why they can move at breakneck speeds. Okay. So, so the, what, what you want to do now is we're going to take one of these videos, we're going to look at it, describe yes. it, and then you're going to give us a, another interpretation of what we might be seeing. Well, yeah, I realize that video is not the optimal medium for a podcast. I'm so I'm going to use the theater of the mind. I'm going to describe the video as I watch it. Okay. That is, Nathan is going to describe it. Using my now, words. Using words. But maybe we could give a search term in case anybody wants to look this up. Let's start with GoFast. So this is, the GoFast video is is now one of the legendary videos. It comes from, Nathan, what, what plane is it? that FA-18. Took These are all FA-18s. The three famous ones. The three famous Fleur, ones. GoFast, and Gimbal were all Navy Super Hornets. Okay. So here it is. We're going to look at the GoFast video. So um, anybody wants to play along at home, you go to YouTube, put in GoFast UAP, and you will come up with, what is it, 30 seconds? Yep. Okay. Nathan, hit it. Tell us what you're seeing. Okay. This footage is generated by an ATFLIR multi-sensor which is a combination of thermographic camera, television camera, laser rangefinder, and laser spot tracker. It's designed to lock onto a target so that you can hit it with missiles or bombs. So the footage is black and white, and has all sorts of updating information around the edges on range and speed and a bunch of other things I don't know. The sensor is aimed down at the ocean, and the radar operator is attempting to lock onto a target that appears to be very small, and moving over the ocean at low altitude and high speed. And now the operator has a lock on the target, and he's celebrating. Now, what I'm about to say comes from the NASA presentation, specifically from Joshua Simiter, who is the director for the Center for Space Physics at Boston University. And the time code for his part of the talk is roughly around 2 hours and 42 minutes and 22 seconds. So if you want to go get a deeper dive into the numbers and the math that he is using to make sense of that image, that's where you want to go. So Professor Samiter does note that it is not NASA's job at the moment to come out and say this is what we think it is. But he wants to use this video as an example of how the scientific method can shed light on some of these apparently anomalous, unidentified, mysterious things. Nathan notes that what we're dealing with is an object. What shape would you suggest that? Like maybe that was? an oval. It's hard to tell. It, oh. it, it's, it's a bit grainy. Right. It, it's low resolution. 
It appears to be an oval or a circle or a disc. Okay. So very classic UAP morphology or very UFO-y, mm-hmm. right? And it's moving like crazy fast across the water. This is weird, especially given that they're flying, I think, in airspace where there is not supposed to be anything else. Mm-hmm. There are 880,000 registered drones. I think these are military drones. So they would know if there was a drone in that airspace. And I don't think a drone should be flying at that kind of speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, from the visuals, looks astronomically fast. Okay, but Professor Samiter looks at these numbers around the sensor equipment that are part of the video, the telemetry. It gives you all kinds of indications of height and distance and speed. I mean, these numbers are gobbledygook to me, but this is why, you know, it's really helpful to have uh, specialists like this. And what he is able to determine is that the object which looks like it's going at about 430 miles per hour and looks like it is very close to the ocean is actually quite high up. So it looks like it's about four miles above the ocean or six, six and a half kilometers above the ocean. But with a little bit of fancy math, which admittedly is beyond me, and so is the telemetry notifications on on the sensor equipment but again i would defer to an expert it turns out that this object is actually thirteen thousand feet above the ocean now that already is a really important indicator in terms of determining something's speed if you assume which is hard to do as nathan notes from the sensor equipment that that is really close to the ocean then it looks like it's moving really fast. It's moving almost at like 500 miles an hour. And I'm sorry to be flipping back between metric and imperial, but they're NASA, they're American, and so they're always talking in imperial. I haven't done all the conversions, but whatever. It's moving super fast. But if it's actually at 30,000 feet, add in another little bit of math based on the sensor data that is available to anybody who watches that video, it's actually moving at 40 miles per hour or 65 kilometers an hour. So how is it that an object can look like it's going extremely fast when it isn't? Well, uh, imagine this. Say you're the observer in a plane flying at 20,000 feet going at about 400 miles an hour. You aim your targeting sensor at an object at 10,000 feet going at 40 miles an hour. It will appear, from your perspective, that the object is traveling very quickly compared to the background, in this case the surface of the ocean, but that's because you've aimed at and locked your camera onto a point halfway between you and the ocean. The apparent speed the ocean is rushing by is relative to you, the observer, since you're locked onto a target which isn't really moving very fast and is in the middle of the air. The target becomes kind of like an axis, with a straight line drawn from your plane through the stationary target to the ocean below. It's your speed that shows up on the surface of the ocean, not the targets. And the NASA scientist is arguing that this is the case in this video. So what you have is you have something that is moving at exactly the speed you would expect it to move if it is being blown about by wind at 13,000 feet, which is exactly what you get if you can read that sensor equipment. 
he still does not come down on a conclusion as to what it is. But now I find that video a lot less impressive, right? If it is a grainy disc-shaped object that is going almost 500 miles an hour and, you know, you, the, the audio is like, oh, what, what could it be? And, oh, my God, it's so amazing. And what the heck is it? And then you actually realize, oh, wait, this is like a piece of debris. God knows what it could be. It might be a plastic bag or something that is, that is like being blown about exactly the way at the speed at which you'd expected, 40 miles per hour, 65 kilometers an hour at 13,000 feet. It really demystifies that video a lot. But he still doesn't claim to know what it is. But now I also feel like it's a lot less likely to be an alien. Now, what I found really interesting in the NASA talk is the rigor that they applied to the data, which then also suggested that even when you have what looks like really hard evidence, uh, it's actually not such great evidence. This video evidence is not really great for a number of reasons. One, these sensors on military aircraft are meant for intercepting and shooting things. They are not scientific sensors. They're, so they are not calibrated. And this is a buzzword that I'm going to have to come back to in, also in our next episode on this. They are not calibrated to see the kind of stuff that they are currently trying to look for. This is a problem across the board with scientific equipment. You can get all kinds of ghosting, say with telescopes. Even if your, your telescope, which is like, say, the James Webb Telescope, again, this is an example from, from this NASA talk, the James Webb Telescope or the Hubble Telescope, which is calibrated to look you know, at faint, dark objects far away, can get a lot of noise from the sun, even when the sun is sort of nowhere near it. And it can cause things like ghosting, doubling or tripling of the image. So these are sensors that have nothing to do with the scientific investigation. And one of the proposals that NASA said is, look, if we want to really understand what's going on here, we have to have sensors dedicated to scientific inquiry where we know what's going on, we know the distance, we know the speed, we know all kinds of things. And for the layperson, you see this video, and it is really shocking. But actually, when you can read it, it's a lot less shocking. It could be a plastic bag flying around above the ocean or some kind of debris. Sensors are a lot like eyeballs, that they make a lot of mistakes. It's very easy to misinterpret that data. Now, I'm not trying to sweep anything under the carpet. I just think, though, that it's less convincing for the extraterrestrial hypothesis when we are able to get more of the kind of telemetry, calibration, and investi and time for the investigation, there are others where I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that is. So I, th I wanted to really hammer in on this point because without the video footage, I think the whole thing is implausible uh, or, or unconvincing. Let's put it like that. I think the whole thing is unconvincing. With the video footage, it becomes a lot more convincing. But then... The quality of the video footage is not as good as people not in the business might believe it is. Amazingly, this was actually 
the very coherent and straightforward part of the hearings. There's a second part, which you alluded to earlier in the in, in your this description of it. You said you were going to break it down into kind of two sets of testimonies. We dealt with one half of it. There's another half, which is absolutely astounding. And I think we're going to have to talk about that in its own episode. And again, none of this means that we can discredit all of these videos or that we can discredit all of these sightings. What it means, though, and this sort of backs up the conclusions that we've already talked about. This is a real phenomenon, but it has to be studied carefully. We can't get distracted by the headlines. We can't get distracted by what we want to be true. If we want to know the truth, we've got to do it methodically, and we've got to do it carefully. And so the hope is that this first part of the hearing, with these two pilots saying, no, there is a legitimate phenomenon here, hopefully that will contribute to the possibility that we do start to see a more careful and thorough analysis. And personally, I do find the Fravor story still very bizarre, even with the discussions that we've had on, there's other explanations for a lot of these videos, there are issues with sensors. The Fravor-Dietrich story is strange enough that I am still absolutely perplexed about what it possibly could have been. And I'm very curious to try to figure out what it could have been. I think it might be the most compelling UFO encounter that I have come across in all of our studies. But of course, we're only halfway through this congressional hearing. And actually, there was a moment in Lieutenant Graves' testimony that kind of leads us into the next part of this hearing. Because at this point, as we've said, it's fairly uncontroversial. It's fairly reasonable. There appears to be weird stuff in the sky. There's all sorts of evidence for that. But Graves tells a story, not something that he experienced firsthand, but something that he was told once he started to look into the UAP, the UFO phenomenon, people started coming forward and telling him stories. And here's a story that he told that takes things in kind of a strange direction. Um, my next question would actually be for Mr. Graves. Um, can you please explain to me in detail the event that occurred at Vandenberg Air Force Base? Certainly. Uh, in the 2003 timeframe, uh, a large group of Boeing contractors were operating near one of the launch facilities at Vandenberg Air Force Base when they observed a very large 100-yard sided uh, red square uh, approach the base from the ocean and hover at low altitude over one of the launch facilities. Um, this object remained for about 45 seconds or so before darting off over the mountains. Um, there was a similar event within 24 hours later in the evening. Uh, this was a morning event, uh, I believe 8.45 in the morning. Later in the evening, post-sunset, uh, there were uh, reports of other sightings on base, uh, including some aggressive behaviors. Uh, these objects were approaching some of the security guards at rapid speeds uh, before darting off. Uh, and this is information that was received through one of the uh, witnesses that have approached me at Americans for Safe Aerospace. Was this documented in any official form, whether it was a police blotter? Yes, they had uh, official documentation and records from the event that the witness uh, held over the years. So what are we to do with that? And what are we to do with the testimony of the third witness? Not a pilot, but a retired Air Force officer and intelligence official in the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, David Grush, who is going to make some absolutely bizarre claims 
But that will have to be its own episode.